Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Uh, I'm fantastic. I'm still on a high. Last week, I found out that I drew a bighorn sheep tag in Idaho. So Dude. one of the, uh, not you know, two top secret, but one of the Frank Church wilderness tags. So as a resident, they're not terribly hard to get, but I've been, uh, I think this is year six of putting it in. So yeah. I was, uh, yeah, more than elated to say the least when I got those results. Yeah. You, uh, so Idaho for a lot of guys who know some don't, there's like essentially three trophy species that are all once in a lifetime, right? For residents. Correct. Yeah. 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 So, so moose, mountain goat, bighorn sheep are all, um, basically once in a lifetime harvest, right? So you can draw the tag and not harvest. And then I'm not exactly sure. I think you got to wait. There might be a one or a two year waiting period or something like that. And then if you've drawn the tag and didn't harvest, then you can start putting back in again. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I was in my mid, well, 2014, uh, when I drew the, uh, my mountain goat tag, that was kind of my top species to put in four of those three. And then uh, I uh, had a one year period where I couldn't put in cause I drew it. And then I started putting in for bighorn sheep. Um, and yeah, it's been six years or something like that since then finally got it i was uh i was jacked and it's it's fun too because i don't um it was just like mountain goat that i really want to hunt them but i don't know a lot about bighorn sheep they're you know their behaviors what they're going to be doing in september and october when is their rut like i I mean i don't know a lot of you know detailed information about them so it's you get to hunt this whole new species and uh, being the frank church there's a lot of logistics of just access to that there's you know if you're hiking in you're you're you know, probably doing 20, 30 miles to get to the sheep. Um, so it's going to be, uh, yeah, quite the challenge. Yeah. I feel like I know of a podcast episode or two that maybe will help you out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll jump back and reference some for sure. Uh, yeah. fortunate to have, you know, I've definitely got oh, three or four guys that have had drawn the tags, uh, not necessarily that tag I got, but tags in the Frank church and be able to start poking around and asking questions and, you know, do all the research. It's kind of like, I mean, I, I guess it's exciting because for me, it's, it's like probably the equivalent for, for someone like you to come out West, go, go elk hunting for the first time. It's like the first time to hunt the species, mm-hmm. um, kind of a, basically not that I've, I've been in the Frank church, obviously we we're just there on the death hike, but, um, haven't been in the specific area. So it's like going into completely new country and yeah, just start pulling up maps and researching. Like that's literally the first thing I did was, okay, where's the unit. Um, and then started looking at access points, like, okay, where could I potentially hike from where are airstrips to fly in and out of, uh, all that stuff. So, yeah. And that's all on top of going to Alaska for sheep in August. I know. Yeah. What yeah, the heck, man? Yeah. I had to pinch myself, man. Pretty stinking lucky. You turned into a sheep hunter overnight. You went on your first one last year and now you're doing it twice this year. Yeah. That's just, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, crazy, crazy fortunate. That's all I can say. Yeah. Well, and it's clearing that overnight when you've been putting in for quite a few years, right? Right. right. Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's, uh, it's fun. I'm, I'm excited to see what comes of that, uh, podcast to come stories to come photos, all that. So yeah, yeah, it'll be good, dude. Um, we're going bear hunting this week. I know that's happening. Yeah. Exciting. We got, uh, we did it last year. It was the first year, kind of a, a big XL bear camp and, uh, got even more guys coming this year. I think we're probably pushing 25, 30 dudes coming up for a long four day weekend this weekend. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun just last year sharing a big camp and just BSing at night and kind of sleep in, cook a big breakfast and then go bear hunt all day. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can put down some bears and get you, uh, your first Idaho bear killed. 
Yeah, let's do it, man. So yeah, Monday minute next week's likely not happening. We'll probably be on the way back from that hunt uh, and then follow up shortly thereafter. So if you don't see a Monday minute next week, that's why we're coming off the bear hunt. Um, I've been throwing together gear here and there for this hunt. And one of the things I'm throwing in, which, you know, listeners probably won't be surprised. I'm taking a couple pairs of boots, but in the feedback that we've been asking for in this month of May, which PS we're still doing that giveaway. So if you haven't heard about that, essentially, if you leave a review on the show, if you share it on social and tag us, or if you just email us with like a question, topic, suggestion, guest suggestion, anything like that, basically just doing a giveaway. So any of those uh, methods, you'll be entered to win uh, an X amount gear gift card, but we've been getting great feedback, great ideas. One of the things that came up was, Hey, you guys talk all the time about boots. You've never really touched much on insoles and which is true. Like we've mentioned things here and there, Steve, I think just a few weeks ago, you were talking about how you throw just standard Solomon insoles in almost all your boots, but we've never done much there. And I've tried a few different things. Um, obviously swapping stock ones, like you mentioned, Steve, I've tried different aftermarket ones, but never taken a relatively deep dive or compared much side by side. And so essentially what we want to do is like we've done in years past with headlamps and stoves is do more of a comparison on let's get our hands on, you know, different models, different types, um, everything from a out of the box, off the shelf aftermarket insole to like a full custom, uh, orthotic, you know, that's kind of custom to your feet. And so that's happening. We're kicking that off and we'll be taking different insoles. Even on this hunt, I've been the last couple of hikes I've done. I've had like one insole in my right boot, different in my left boot, doing that type of thing. Isn't that interesting? Like how, um, yeah, just doing that. Like that's how, that's what I was doing last summer, kind of gearing up for going up to Alaska was I had that pair of Loa's, um, that I was trying to wear Loa Inox pros. And I was just like, they're really close to being like dialed in. And I felt like just the perfect insole was going to kind of make the shoe, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, just hiking with one on the left and one on the right. Like I would be, it was shocking to me. I mean, yeah, it's a good uh, podcast suggestion, obviously, because it drastically changes the shoe and and dramatically like, um, there was one insole that was really comfortable, but my feet just like the balls, my feet got really, really hot. And if you (laughs) had, if you just had them in both shoes, you just kind of think like, ah, it's, you know, cause it was hot. It was summertime. I was training and sweating a lot. Um, and you just wouldn't really think twice about it. Right. But when the left insole feels great, you feel that foot isn't hot. And the right one, you're like, holy crap, I need to take my shoes off. My feet are so hot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it was just, I think, I think it was just the material that they use that just kind of created friction there. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just created heat over, you know, over a couple of miles. It was pretty interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, I did a bunch of insole stuff last year. Like I said, getting ready for, um, getting ready to go that sheep hunt in Alaska. And, and, um, I was really surprised with, I tried probably a bunch of different ones and it, and it really just depends. You almost have to match the insole to the boot, right? Like yeah. it's not like you could find like, Oh, this insole works for me and just Correct. go slap it in six different pairs of shoes. Cause every pair of shoe boot, uh, is different. They, they have different heel cups and some of them have a little bit of arch built into them. Some of them are completely flat, uh, inside there. And so it's like, you really got to almost have an arsenal of insoles that you then, if you get a new pair of boots, like, okay, I'm gonna try these ones. No, that doesn't work. Try this one. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a, definitely a wormhole you go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll be doing that. I don't have a, a timeline on when we're going to kind of have a recap of that, but essentially, you know, as we do our spring hunts here, training in the summer, test hiking, you and I both, Steve, will be doing this, have different insoles, different boots, different combinations. And at some point here, get kind of a recap of here's all these options we've tried, you know, pros and cons impressions. Again, the goal isn't to pick the best insole on the market. Cause as you just said, Steve, it's so variable to yeah. even what boot you're wearing and obviously a personal foot, but just kind of highlight some differences and I'm excited to see that come together. So just a good example of your guys, the listeners suggestions, and we're trying to make that happen. It'll be fun to do for sure. Uh, let's see. So one thing that's, you know, as we've kind of asked for feedback here in May that has come up, um, is there's a lot of questions and interest about topics we have covered, which is just natural because we've been doing this podcast so long at this point. Uh, and it's made me realize we need to go back and revisit things. Uh, number one is let's not be afraid to talk about something we've talked about. Right. Um, and even do full length, like more in-depth episodes when we have things in the archive that cover it. Cause it's just always good to get a fresh perspective and our mindset may have changed in three years and, you know, a different guest is going to bring a different perspective to that topic. But number two, it's highlighted the importance of being able to then find older episodes that do exist uh, which is something we have been admittedly terrible about is you can go back to iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud or Stitcher or whatever and scroll through the history of episodes. Uh, but there's been no great way to search like much outside of Google cleanly. Um, there's been no great way to like, Hey, let me just look at all episodes by this guest. You know, we've had Paul Medell on the podcast a bunch of times. We've had Corey Jacobson, other guys who've been repeat guests and being able to just quickly see what episodes are those. Um, and then same thing for topics, right? So if you want to specifically see things about like rifles and rifle hunting versus bow hunting versus archery elk hunting versus high country mule deer hunting, there's been no way to like quickly filter and just see those. Um and it's been on our radar to do it. We're honestly just so busy. It's hard to find the time, but long story short, we are making that happen. Um, it's in the works right now. It's all going to exist through the EXO website and they will be kind of like topics and categories you can quickly filter on. You'll be able to filter by guests and you'll just be able to search, you know, on keywords um, and it'll pull up all of the podcast archive. We're in the works of it right now. We're starting with the feature episodes. We'll eventually add in the Monday minute episodes and things like that. So I just want to let you guys know that's coming. So, you know, it'll just be easier to find things through the archive essentially. Cause I know even personally, there's like episodes I forget that exist out there. And then the topic comes up. I'm like, wait a second. We talked about that. And it was actually a super cool episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like once a, podcast is three months old it's just kind of lost so it's, it's gonna be cool to have this resource yeah. to be able to find that stuff and dig back and i mean even for me just okay how uh just be able to type in keyword sheep right and pull up exactly. anytime we've had someone on talking about sheep it's gonna be yeah. a pretty cool tool yeah so yeah that's in the works um yeah we'll start with the feature episodes and have more to come that said we wanted to touch on a few um quick questions on this Monday minute that have come up from listeners that again, are topics we'll talk more about in the future, but also topics that I can point you guys to a previous episode. We talked more in depth 
And then we'll just quickly kind of chat through that here in the Monday minute. Um, this first one came up and this guy wrote in, he says, I'm going on my first backpack elk hunt this year. And I had a question about packing meat. I will probably be five to 15 miles away from a vehicle and hunting solo. Do you guys try and pack each individual load all the way to your vehicle? Or do you ever leapfrog the meat um, as a, as a pack out strategy? So, and then he said, any advice would be awesome. Number one, I don't, I'm not trying to pick on this guy. I don't know if he meant to do this, but he says a solo elk hunt and mentioned five to 15 miles away from your vehicle. Um, too far. It's too far. Yeah. Like you're, <laughs> you're, I was gonna say you're superhuman, but that's just flat out not possible. So, you know, this guy was a newer hunter and I would just say, you don't know what you're getting into. And I'm not saying that to like him specifically, but just to newer guys in general, it's really easy to talk about miles or to even cover five to 15 miles while hunting, but especially solo and especially with elk, you have to like give yourself limitations and you have to be very realistic about what you, again, especially being solo are going to be capable of doing, um, over multiple trips. Right. So even five miles, and even if you're a complete stud, you're, I would recommend taking at least three trips, right. With an elk, it's possible on two, but again, I'm thinking solo and safety and things like that. Three's probably the minimum for most folks. Yeah. Yeah. Three Very to minimum. four. Yeah. Three is a minimum. Four is most likely yes. if you're packing horns out. Yeah. So you're talking about just five miles, right? So, um, first trip, five miles with some elk back five miles, you're at 10 second trip with some elk five miles, you're at 15 back into the elk. Again, you're at 20, the third trip, which would again be bare minimum. You're now at 25 miles, um, super quick. So it's like, is that possible? Um, maybe. So it's just, you know, it's one of those things that always keep in mind, like terrain, how much trail you have, how much elevation gain loss, obviously the time of year taking care of meat, et cetera. So, um, we could talk all about that. I just want to kind of remind, especially for guys who haven't done it, like it is not impossible to pack out an elk solo, but you have to set some limitations and be very aware of like what your true capabilities are other than just going, yeah, I'm gonna go five to 10 miles. Uh, you can just put yourself in a bad spot to answer his question about leapfrogging. I think it's a great strategy for solo hunting, especially. Um, and we actually, actually, Steve, we just talked, what was that Friday we interviewed or chatted with a guy who's a listener and had a cool solo elk listener story that will be coming out. It's not out yet, but he talked about how that was his strategy solo. Um, it's a good way to do it. You break up, um, the demand on the body, right? So you, you can pack things in lighter loads. You get a little bit more break on you're still packing the total amount of distance and the total amount of weight, but being under a super heavy pack for five miles versus like two miles is definitely a difference. And so if you're kind of shuttling, like I'm going to go a mile and then come back light, another heavy load for a mile, come back light and leapfrog approach. I think it just, it, it helps kind of spread out that demand on the body versus crushing yourself right away and then struggling to recover. Um, so I think that's smart. A, an episode to listen to about solo elk hunting in general that, again, is in our archive would be episode 176. 
uh, we touched on some points, not only about the hunting portion um, and solo calling setups, things like that, but also packing out when you are solo. So episode 176 would be a great one to go back and listen to. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to add on that one, Steve, for now? No, not really. I think you've kind of covered it. I just, yeah, I, I shuttle when typically if I got any uphill and then it's downhill to the truck, I'll shuttle everything to the top and then, you know, leave it up on the top. Hopefully find a nice tree up there, get some nice breezes blowing through, keep the meat cool. And then I'll shuttle downhill from there to the truck out. And that's, that's typically how I've done it for sure. Yeah. Cool. Another one that came up uh, just recently, and again, this is kind of a ever have an ever evolving conversation. It comes up in different ways. We do have a podcast episode in the archive, number 217, and the title of that episode is Elk Hunting Camp Styles, Base Camp, Spike Camp, or Bivy. And again, that was episode 217. But this guy wrote in and says, I love your podcast. It has been super beneficial to me as I have expanded my hunting lifestyle. I really appreciate the regular guys you have on the show. Um, So thank you for that. I was wondering if you'd be able to touch on the topic of different styles of elk hunting specifically. When is it best to pack in for a week um, versus hunting from the truck to be more mobile? I'm planning my first Western elk hunt and it seems to be my sticking point um, is knowing the level of mobility I should have, Uh, which is a, yeah, that's a great way to think is how mobile can should i be um, especially heading into a new area and clearly he is because he said it was his first western elk hunt um yeah i'll let you go first thoughts there steve <laughs> uh to me that's going to be a i guess if i'm going to new country i want to plan to be very very mobile until i find elk right so you you just like I can think about spots in Idaho I've been to that look really good on a map. Right. But they're just elk don't live there uh, for whatever reason. Um, and so you really need, if you're coming out West on your first elk hunt, you're going to be brand new country. You don't have like very good Intel or a, like, for example, like a buddy who hunted that spot two years prior and he'd be like, Oh yeah, there was elk all over this basin and this drainage and, you know, uh, give you very good detailed information. Then I wouldn't, I wouldn't just like pick a Canyon uh, and back back in there for a week, hoping that you got that right. Right. You, like, you want to have a lot of darts uh, in your arsenal there. Um, so I would just plan on, you know, to me, the perfect strategy would be very light mobile with the option to sleep out on the mountain for the night. So I would park my truck, you know, at a spot, try to try to avoid trailheads and obvious access points. Cause that's just going to be, those are going to be spots where a lot of people go in and you're probably gonna to have to go further uh, just because people are accessing it from that point, which kind of push elk further away from it. Sometimes, you know, just parking off the side of a highway and hiking a mile can get you right into elk. And that way you're only a mile in and you're not so invested in a country that takes half a day to walk out. But I would, I would absolutely just use the vehicle. I'd have some, some way to like sleep in the back of the truck. I wouldn't set up a camp or a tent or anything. I would just literally sleep in the truck, find a spot, throw your backpack on, have a baby sack and a tarp in there, run out, you know, check out an area. If you get into elk, great, stay the night or hike back out, but you know, right where to be the next morning. Uh, if you don't, you hike back out, you jump in your truck, you drive down the road and, and find a new spot. I think that'd be a very good tactic to, to employ. It would require you, um, 
to be very physically fit, I think, right? You're just going to be moving a lot potentially versus like, you know, some guys think backpacking is a lot of work, but sometimes it's easier, right? Like mm-hmm. you hike in there three miles, you set up a nice camp, you hunt all around camp. You're never really moving a whole lot once you, you know, a mile from camp versus uh, if you're hunting from a base camp or from your truck, you could go in there two, three miles, uh, hunt, have to walk three miles back out and then three miles back in the next day. Uh, the miles really start stacking up when you're kind of mobile hunting like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you can be super mobile backpack hunting and you can be super mobile from a vehicle. It really depends on even partially just how you plan um, and what country you're in. So, you know, if you're going to go out for two to three days or even a, an overnight, you know, try and be strategic with even how you're covering that ground. Like he mentioned in here, like hunting from the truck to be mobile, like, yes, but whether you're hunting from a truck or backpacking, your mobility is going to be determined by your planning in so many ways. So, you know, if you're backpacking in, try to find an area where you can make a loop and yes, you can go chase elk, but like have a plan of, all right, I'm hiking. Here's how I can be most mobile and cover the most country most effectively. And same thing with a truck. It's not driving around like randomly throwing out bugles at night or something crazy for some guys do. And it's not randomly looking for access points. It's like knowing very specifically, like here's where I can park and cover this country quick and get back to the truck. And then I can go here and get back to the truck. Um, So mobility is super important. Just covering country, whether it's on foot or with the truck with these little bonsai trips into country. Um, but it just always comes back to your planning and having multiple, multiple options to fall back on. Um, yeah. So even I just, things like trying to avoid in and out trips. It's like, if there's only one way in and then one way out and you're now just covering this country, or maybe there's again, going back to what you said, Steve's like trailhead of if you're spending a lot of time gaining miles on a trail to then reach a place where you're then going to bomb off and start hunting, like, I'm not saying that you can't do that, but ideally you're trying to get into hunting areas as quick as possible. And as you said, Steve, a lot of times that's getting away from trails, getting away from established access points where it's like, where can I park and be hunting within a half mile, not covering five miles on the trail and then trying to, you know, go up a side drainage or something and then hunt. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, especially guys like this guy and he's coming out West, you have limited time and trying to make the most use of that is really important. And honestly, this filters down even gear choices. And I think for you and I, Steve, a lot of times why we just try and keep things really simple and efficient and have less stuff because it truly matters. Like when you're dealing with less gear, and when you have a lighter pack and when your shelter's easier to set up and easier to find a spot to set it up in and all that, like that truly makes a difference in the time that you're spending. It's literally more time hunting, less time dealing with your gear. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, I think sometimes that just gets overlooked and it's like, we're not talking about being light to be light. And we're not talking about keeping things simple just because it's like, it truly changes your abilities as a hunter. Yeah, absolutely. One, uh, one strategy too, that I've done in the past is if you have, uh, like a motorcycle or something like that, that you can throw in the back of your truck and take with you to kind of do a point A point B type hunt where Mm -hmm. you 
and, and it gives you, especially if you're solo, it gives you a lot of flexibility to where when you, you know, hopefully kill something, you can then look at the map and go, okay, it's easier to go back to my truck or it's way easier to go to the motorcycle I dropped off. So I've done this um, multiple times, like park them about 10 miles apart, right? Um, one spot, oh man, so just a few years back, yep. Part went out a, a dirt road a long ways, parked the motorcycle, came back and then took the truck and parked up on the, you know, the, the highway went over the summit and then parked at the summit and then basically just hiked along the ridge. And then uh, everything to the left of me was downhill uh, towards the, towards the dirt bike. Um, super great strategy to employ that allows you a lot of flexibility. Yeah. Cool. Well, once again, on um, that episode where we talk kind of the pros and cons of a, a base camp, a spike camp or like a backcountry base. So base camp, meaning like hunting from the truck with a base camp or thereabouts spike camp, almost think of that as like a backcountry base camp. So you're going in, setting up camp and hunting out of that for five days or whatever. And then bivy hunting, more hunting with camp on your back. So we could discuss the pros and cons of that. I think Steve, that was, I think, I think that episode was me, you and Cody and Trent from born and raised. If I recall correctly, <laughs> um, I should have looked, but that was episode <laughs> 217 where we, chat all about those different styles and pros and cons and even it depends on the terrain you're hunting in and access point like there's a lot that goes into that and we get into it in that episode 217 um one more so this came up recently and i've seen guys talk about this i don't think we've ever chatted about it on the podcast and it had never affected me till about a year ago and this guy wrote and said have you or anyone you known had to deal with sciatic nerve pain I had it flare up over the weekend and I'm still dealing with it down my right leg. It is extremely painful when sitting, laying down and getting up. I'm just wondering if you know of any remedies or exercises to get rid of this pain quicker. So yeah, sciatic pain or like piriformis. um, If you Google some stuff on that, that often very related there, there can be different causes of this. um, But for me, this has come up uh, again just in the past year and I'm not aware of why like any injuries or any imbalances or anything going on internally but it actually first happened to me on my archery elk hunt last year we did a long drive driving out of state and I didn't feel anything during the drive but later that evening um, I was hurting and it was all new to me and I could tell just from the type of pain and location it was nerve related And so I started Googling like crazy because it was hurting so bad. I didn't know if I could hunt the next morning, but um, with a bunch of stretching, it actually was able to get it significantly better that evening. And so stretching can be a key. And I think, again, like for me, part of the factor there was just there there was something else going on, but it was, uh, I I don't want to use the word inflamed, but it was like made worse by the drive and just that sitting. And a lot of guys sitting a lot of the day, for example, like you're just, there's so much in us that's tight, um, and not used or imbalanced or things like that. And I don't know, Steve, if it's just me getting older, but I'm like realizing (laughs) the importance of like stretching and mobility and all that stuff, both for things like a hunt, but really just day to day. Um, so I'll include a link in the show description, um, with some of the stretches that I use specifically for like sciatica or piriformis related, um, issues that I've had. And then the stretches that have helped in that. Um, and then we actually have an episode coming up, Steve, I think in two to three weeks, it's going to be out with a PT 
um, where we talked not just about these issues, but just uh, mobility and stretching. And this PT actually is the physical therapist for the U.S. National Archery Team. So there's like some very bow hunting, shoulder health specific stuff in there. There's more general like hiking, backpacking uh, care in there. Um, and yeah, I think I've, every time this, a topic like this comes up, I feel like we're just aging because we're talking about like stretching and all that it's a stuff, real thing, man. Real. Can't stop it. <laughs> yeah. So as much as you want to like lift, run, shoot or whatever the cool kids do, it's like lift, run, stretch and shoot or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, cool. That's uh that's a wrap for today, guys. We'll be back this week uh, with a full length episode on Wednesday. So if you haven't yet in your podcast app, just hit that subscribe or follow button. And then don't forget here in the month of May, 2021, we're doing that giveaway. So leave a review on the show. Um, if you can share it on social and tag at hunt Backcountry, or just email us at podcast at exomountgear.com uh, with a question, a topic suggestion, a guest suggestion, anything like that. And we'll be sure to work that in future content. So thank you guys as always for tuning in. Appreciate support. We'll talk to you soon.